Hello, listeners. Hello. This one goes straight out to that guy who came marching up to me on the foreshore at Glenelg <laughs> on Sunday and just said, well, actually, I walked past him and he was sitting at a table. He just goes, Annabelle. <laughs> I turn around and he says, when's that next podcast coming up? <laughs> Oh, man at the Dog Cafe, this is for you. <laughs> That's funny. I know. We have been getting, you know, quite a few questions about when we're going to do yeah, our next one. We've been very busy for reasons that we'll tell you about later. Um, or now, even. Or now, yeah. even. Okay. We have I was been just busy. thinking maybe we could create suspense, maybe people would keep listening. Yeah, it's over. No, okay. yeah. The yeah. age of suspense is over in the instant gratification. Oh, and they've gone already. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, first, let's tell everyone what we're eating. Oh, yeah. We're eating two lots of things. Mm-hmm. Um... I am about to start eating your, um, what I understand to be, a chocolate and salted caramel brownie, Mm -hmm. which has just, it is, one of my favourite words, it is deliquescing on the plate. (laughs) It is deliquescent. What does that mean? I don't even Um, know. Deliquescent means sort of moistly gleaming. And so like, you know, when you put a glass of ice water out on a hot day mm. it deliquesces oh yeah. interesting i love it such a good word um it is out of the book you gave me for christmas the cook and the baker oh you it's still the got first book, thing. Love. <laughs> first thing. that was a hit that was a real hit that book this is the first thing i've made out of it actually but i suspect oh. i undercooked it ever so slightly even though but a good brownie brownie is a good brownie true but it's still got to hold together Oh my god. My friend Benjamin Law was around yesterday and I was trying to give him something to take. Hadn't been out of the oven long enough. And so we took it, took it out of the pan and it started slowly like oh. wafting apart. And so Ben sort of grabbed his hands on sort of two corners and I grabbed mine on the others and then we just quickly shoved it back into the tin. It was oh, very That's funny. a helpful guess. And this is we're absolutely eating, bloody delicious. We're eating something you've made, which is? Uh, I, I've made apple crumble cake, which mm. is from my book. Um, it's not it's not pictured in the book because like it's quite like it's it's oh, a brown cake. It's a pretty looking cake. It is a pretty looking cake, but so I'm gonna I'm gonna tweet a picture of it because it deserves mm. a wider audience and um, not every dish in a cookbook gets its own picture. Mm. And sometimes I think that maybe the non pictured ones, yeah, people can kinda miss them. And mm. this is look, in my humble um, opinion, it is like the coming together of about um, 15 years of good, solid research on my part mm. about apple crumble cakes because wow. I had this vision of the best apple crumble cake. The making of apple crumble cakes are just like, it's just beset with danger, right? Because mm. you can get fruit that sinks to the bottom and gets mm-hmm. all kind of sludgy and kind of dank and kind of dense. Yep. Um, so you want the bits of apple in the cake to sort of float around nobly in the batter um, <laughs> yeah. and then you want the cake to cook around it right mm-hmm. so um i slice my apples really thin i mm-hmm. use an eating apple not a granny smith oh, yeah. and like so really thin little chunks mm. and then i dust them in the flour mm-hmm. um so that they've got a bit of separation and space from each other they don't clump together mm-hmm. um and yeah mm, I'm, I'm, yeah i'm happy with it i've mm. well the brownie, you make the salted caramel first, cut wow. it up into chunks, put oh. the brownie batter in the tin, dot it with the chunks of salted caramel, off you go. Oh, my God. That mm. is so great. Mm, very So yummy. do you make the caramel by cooking it in the pan or in the oven? Actually, it was both. Um, so it was a saucepan with condensed milk. Um, condensed milk. It's one of those things that's like oh. only useful for a couple of things, like kofa. <laughs> just like, well, I have no use apart from, you know. It is just one of the greatest substances known to man. Condensed oh. milk, golden syrup, and a bit of butter. 
and buy a bit of butter. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, oh my god, and you it's stir so it, good. constantly stir it, so it doesn't stick to the bottom till it gets thick, and then you tip it into the pan and then you bake uh, it. You, you sprinkle the top with salt and then bake it. Uh, I like my salt caramel quite yeah, salty though. I could have done with a bit more salt than the recipe. Um, my friend Mim in um, Adelaide, who's a brownie queen, mm. well, you met her because she was the lady who did the kitchen handling oh, yeah. um, in that fringe show that we did uh, a couple yes. of weeks ago, which we should have a recap on too. Mm. Um, our brief sojourn into the, uh, the world of stagecraft. <laughs> it was fun. Which we fled shrieking. <laughs> it was fun. I tell you what, though, we were not the stars of that show. Christopher Pine was. Wow. That um, man is, is a monster. born for the stage. <laughs> he um, really... Ran away with it. So what? What we did? We put on a show, or like well, it was you know, your show. I was just yeah at it. the Adelaide Fringe. Just sort of actually happened so accidentally, and then it was all kind of tickets were on sale before I really registered right. what was going on. And so it was kind of like the stage was built up like a like an apartment, and so the idea was that it was like my house, and then. All these people dropped in and did cooking. So you came. It looked along. like a David Williamson set, actually. It so did. Actually, it was so good. Somebody to reveal they were sleeping with someone else on the stage. It actually looked a lot cooler than my actual house. So <laughs> I, I was sort of really loath to leave it at the end of the night. Um, but it, um, uh, you came along and rather rudely, I think, um, baked my tarts. <laughs> but you improved on the recipe. Thanks for that. <laughs> Um, and Adam Liao came along and he was great. Okay, he did some, he did um, sort of fancy fish finger sandwiches, which were so delicious. Oh man, and the, the um, aioli that was on the, so it was yeah. a brioche bun. The aioli, they, the aioli had fresh crab meat yeah. in it. Oh, and he also did and it had egg yolks crumbled into it as well. Like it was a really oh, and was, like chopped up bits of cornichon and dill. dill. It was so cabin. delicious. Yeah, and um, the other thing that he showed us, which I thought was a very handy trick, was how to tell if your oil is at the right temperature for deep frying. Which is he stuck a chopstick into it, and if the tip of the chopstick in the oil was sending up a heap of bubbles, he said that's about 160, and so that is the right temperature for deep frying. He did it sort of slightly earlier, and it was a few bubbles. He said, that's about 140. It's not enough. So I totally missed that point. Well, I heard it, but I was so marvelling over his previous reveal about beer batter, which is um, make sure that your flour is chilled. Yeah. He took the flour out of the freezer. And it was literally just beer and flour. Uh This is beer batter. Yeah, there was nothing else messing around in there. The other thing that probably won't surprise listeners of this podcast is that as everyone on stage had their conversation, I, of course, just woofed my Adam burger straight down Mm. because it was so delicious. And then Adam said, Annabelle, you told me that it was just like stunt food that no one was going to be eating it. And you're like, (laughs) as if I was going to waste that. I know, it was so good. But yeah, Christopher Pine. So I told this story about his honeymoon, oh. which just made me wonder how it is that Paul Mrs. Pine really, like, oh, it was, is still a proposition. So they went sailing for the Pine honeymoon, and um, Mrs. Pine, who grew up in a family where they sailed, assumed that all men knew how to sail, and then did not realise the flaw in her due diligence <laughs> vis-a-vis her betrothed until they were actually out on the water. And he's like, well, I don't know how to do this. He's also, I think, a bit frightened of the sea. But his demeanour, like his storytelling ability and his sly sort of digs at himself in a very sort of, I don't know, oh, it was just, the audience was in hysterics. It was just it was, um, so, so funny. He's got very good comic timing. He really um, does, yeah. The um, 
the honeymoon story ends with them, of course, getting lost and then the engine blowing up, so they're drifting out into the open ocean. <laughs> they're trying to sail up the Hawkesbury or something. And then it also ends in disarray because um, the, there's a leadership challenge on the way in the Liberal Party at the same time. He's, like, leaning out of the boat trying to get enough mobile phone reception to try and... Um, destroy John Howard because he was trying to stop John Howard returning to the leadership and he was trying to get Peter Reith to run but like trying to run this campaign from this dodgy boat and then he somehow found an excuse to drag his new bride to Philip Ruddock's house <laughs> organised on their honeymoon, on honeymoon to drop in on Philip Ruddock because that would be such an, emo- an erotic charge anyway it was very funny um, and um, I thought look, the thing that the, the moment that I enjoyed most was when we were talking about, oh, you know, um, he wouldn't eat anything and neither would Xenophon, yeah. who, who was also there, um, because he said, look, first of all, the politics, you don't eat anything in public, can go, go so horribly wrong. <laughs> I would have liked said, to reply to that when he said it, but I had a mouthful. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, so, so what did you think? Like, What's your review, retrospectively, of the Tony Abbott um, onion eating? And he kind of took this long Christopher, breath. Christopher. Yeah, yeah. And he said... You know, I mean, every day in politics something weird happens and, you know, you're in your office and you all gather around the TV and you watch the footage and, um, you know, you've always got something to say or some sort of, you know, oh, this is not too bad. He said, on that occasion, I just, we just had nothing to say. <laughs> just just silent. was silent. And he said, and this is kind of an example of his kind of, his sort of stagecraft, I suppose, and he kind of leaned over and said, well, <laughs> so at that moment, it was like that, it was like that moment on the Titanic, you know, where you stand around looking at each other and thinking, well, I hope the whiskey is good in first class. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it was very funny. Oh, he was just gold. Um, now, so, um, let's share our news. Oh yeah, right. We got off track. Yeah, so, um, we, okay, the bad news is we're going to be doing our pod, for a short period of time, we're going to be doing our podcast even less frequently. <laughs> like, that'll be a massive change. Like, <laughs> yeah, the, the, right. the normally reliable service. <laughs> this is, you shouldn't notice anything. Um, because the good news is that for eight weeks, we are doing a TV show together um, for iView only called When I Get a Minute. And it is about... It's sort of like the podcast. It's our, us talking about cultural things. The premise of it is basically culture for the time poor. So we're just whipping through a movie or a TV show or some books or an article or some recipes. And, yeah, it's just us basically banging on but with our hair done and yeah. not in, That's for example, sort of gym clothes. That's a part of it, yeah. Because yeah. what you're wearing now well, would not be that's appropriate. That's exactly right. So, um, yes, I had an appointment with my son this morning, actually, and the... Um, the lady who was taking us said, um, she said, I, you know, sometimes I see you on TV and I think I need some of those hair and makeup people because I see you every Monday morning and then I see you at Monday and night. Like a real different yeah. thing. <laughs> That's really funny. And it's completely the truth. But yeah, she gets that very close. Um, I still time. like, see, you are, you are wearing kind of exercise pants and a t-shirt. Mm. See, I don't think I would come to work in that. Well, it's because... I'm, I'm calling it. Like, this is how time poor I am because I want to go to the gym. So I basically thought, I don't have time really to muck around putting one outfit on and then changing to my yeah. gym clothes. I've only got time to get changed once is when I have a shower at the end of the gym. And so I'm wearing the gym clothes and bringing the other mm-hmm. clothes. So. Mm-hmm. But I sort of have to keep a low profile because, as you say, it's not well, quite well. I knew time. it really worked. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm so, so, I'm so you... respect that you're prepared to do that. 
I could never do that. See, this is the rip. I don't think I've ever seen you in exercise clothes. There's an excellent <laughs> and simple reason for that. Look, I would like to exercise, but really, I just, yeah. Yeah. I think I just can't be bothered. See, the problem is I love eating. Yeah. And so I need to exercise so I can eat whatever I like. But you do the same, but you seem to remain slim. Well, I, um, well, I guess I do a bit of like running children around, like I walk quite a few places. Oh, yeah, I've got arms like Michelle Obama from lifting up my two-year-old. <laughs> that, that little brute. <laughs> These guns are loaded. <laughs> anyway, so um, it's going to be on iView only. And yeah. I think I said it's called When I Get a Minute, right? Mm-hmm. And so it starts on the first episode goes up this Friday, the 11th of March. It does, this Friday, the 11th of March. God, yes. Really See, Brendan would be proud, don't you think, yeah. the way we're plugging this show. So, yeah, so it's just... It's, it's made by um, most of the same people as Make Kitchen Cabinet. So you are awesome. It looks fabulous. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know. First episode involves me shoveling a lot of food into it my does, yeah. keep, keep an eye out yeah. for the amount, the, the, food. Food. <laughs> <laughs> the amount of food that I get in over the course of the show. And I, I don't think yeah. we see you take a single mouthful. Yeah, it's you Lisa's adventure in Prada Willy Syndrome. <laughs> you were t- taking a leaf out of the Pine and Xenophon book. Oh, my God, that brownie. I can't stop. But now I feel a bit like my... Vision is swimming a bit. It's a little bit like it's that. It's a bit like that. I was going to say, my um, uh, my friend Mim uh, mm. in South Australia makes, she's got famous for her salt caramel brownies, and she is trialling salted caramel brownie ice cream. Oh, yeah. yum. Yeah. Actually, I had salted caramel ice cream on the weekend at um, mm. a shop, and it was too salty, even though I just said before that, mm. you know, it's got to be careful with the salt. Yeah. Um, Anyway, I actually think salted caramels probably, actually probably a year ago, reached peak saturation. And mm-hmm. even though I really like it and I still eat it, I just think I'm so sick of seeing places with salted caramel stuff. My rule is like once it's got onto um, in-flight catering, it's over. Yeah. So and I noticed that like a number of the carriers, yeah. who I won't name here, <laughs> do like salted caramel cookies and stuff that's like, like oh, that's over that's also like fashion at the point like say for example on friday i bought a pair of silver sneakers so mm. they are so over <laughs> because for anything fashiony to get into Once my you've thing got like it. oh i love these silver sneakers <laughs> yeah. they are like so i might as well have just put on a choose life t-shirt it's just <laughs> over it's so yeah over. but i thought that about facebook when i got poked by my mother-in-law i'm like <laughs> or i got poked by bob Carr once i'm like well that's it i'm out <laughs> I can understand that. I'm leaving the area. Nobody wants to get poked by Bob. No, no. Um, yeah. Right. So, so, um, so we're resting the podcast just because. A, resting we'll not. We'll have a couple. We'll but, have like over the course of the eight weeks, we'll probably do one podcast. Yeah. Um, just because, time-wise, I mean, <laughs> just I am. You are ridiculously overstretched. Oh I'm sorry God, about that. I feel partially I am responsible. Just crazy and. Uh, yeah, so we just can't, don't possibly have time to do everything. And plus also, I think it is, you know, you, you only have a time over the course of a week to fit in so much culture. And I'm now, yeah. like, having to stay up later to try to fit in the culture that we have to talk about on the show instead of with the podcast, just if I've got nothing to talk about, we just talk about yeah. choose life shirts or whatever. So um, yes, we just right. don't have this time. This is a more lazy format <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in almost every right. imaginable way. That's right. Whereas now that it's an actual TV show, we have meetings and they're like, so what will we be discussing? You need to go and see, you know, health season. the most exhilarating thing is that I went to see a movie in the middle of the day the other day <laughs> and it was just like it was the worst because I was there was um parliament was sitting and it was super Tuesday and oh. I was in the cinema I nearly just got actual hives from the, <laughs> at the anxiety of it like just 
doing something recreational in work hours just seems like oh, the worst. See, like it, it's like yeah. having an affair times a gajillion. Like the guilt factor <laughs> is just like, oh god. See, I went to something at ten a.m. and I was simultaneously prepping stuff for seven thirty. Yeah, no, you kept texting me as well. I'm I like, know. How's that movie going? Yeah. Obviously loving it. I know. It's just Given multitasking too. We're just stupid. Yeah. Also, level. but the texts you were sending were real alia as well. It wasn't even anything to do with anything. <laughs> <laughs> it was just some other bullshit. <sighs> um, so what have you? I mean, have you been reading anything? Or, Shall I tell you what I did knock over? Mm. The End of Flora's Fancy, <laughs> which I haven't brought because I'm sorry to say, for anyone who is looking forward to it, I'm sorry to report that, you know how it was doggerel? Mm. It actually becomes doggerel doggerel like became it became really really bad and Doggles it was just rhyming though that's not the right word well no actually that's true it you was just mean crap it, i just mean crap yeah um no i mean like i think the word i'm looking for actually is drivel <laughs> a word that ended in el and started with d no it was too much repeating of the same stuff about her being mistreated and so i can pretty much just tell you what what happened before i just ran out of puff there was a shameless bit of plagiarism of, I believe, a scene in Anne of Green Gables where... Wow. That's refresh bold. my memory. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Went for that little known word. Yeah, Anne of Green Gables. Something, you really want to go for, like, Brian of Green Gables <laughs> or some lesser-known word. <laughs> At least go for, like, you know, Anne of the Little House or something. It's, go for one of the later ones, Anne of the Island or you, something. Can I just press pause for just to tell you the most shameful hang thing on. about my own childhood? Okay, hang on. Like... Actually, press pause. No, no, no. Oh, no, sorry. No, no, no. I'm happy for oh, this I to be widely so understood. You wanted me to but... press actual pause. Yeah. So when um, I was at primary school, we buried a time capsule, like so did we, you know, with short stories and letters year. and stuff like. Well, mine got dug up a few years back, but yeah, I plagiarized my whole short story. It was about like how the <laughs> how the kookaburra got its laugh or something. And it's about to get dug up. I plagiarized. And you've got a profile. <laughs> it was already dug up five years oh. ago, and um, but. What a shameless kid. Like, I was. Where did um, you plagiarize it from? From a book of Aboriginal um, <laughs> le- myths and legends. Oh, wow. So yeah. it's also I racist. stole it from the first Australians. <laughs> I was like, yep, brilliant. It's like I lightly massaged the story of Tidlick or whatever and then just banged it in. Wow, cultural Isn't misappropriation. That's shocking. Really bad. That, well, I'm glad you told me that story because uh. it's a little bit of a cautionary tale, isn't it? <laughs> glad I you never gave you a copy of Flora's. Can you imagine how like how risible your secret capsule is going to be though? Like you are clearly such an unbearable child that you know it'll be like your list of instructions beyond the grave. For, you know, I, viewers, if you're watching yeah. this now, what about how funny if it said, "By the time this is opened, I will be the the, the nation's leading current affairs journalist. I'll have my own." Show. <laughs> I may well have said that. Yeah, you probably would have. Um, oh, no. Yeah, so so correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure there's a sequence in Anne of Green Gables where she they decide they're going to send her back to the orphanage because she flogs a brooch of Marilla's oh, and she mm. concocts... Well, sorry, she's accused of flogging a brooch of Marilla's and Marilla keeps saying, you have to admit it or you're in big trouble. And so mm. finally Anne concocts this elaborate story about, and so I threw it deep, deep, deep into the lake of shining waters and it went plop and blah, blah, blah. And then Marilla goes, right, you're going back to the orphanage. That actually happened, right, in Anne of Green Gables? My recollection of that book is foggy. Okay, I'm pretty sure that's what happened. So in my book, Flora is accused of stealing Aunt Muriel's ring. Aunt Muriel? Marilla? She's like an anagram <laughs> of the character. Absolutely. So, uh, and then she didn't and it's revealed that that little bitch of a cousin. <laughs> anyway, nothing to me will ever bring as much joy as the use of the term bitch in Flora's fancy. I just love it. And then so Flora gets shipped off to Miss, fin- fin- Miss Finselback's boarding school. Finselback? Finselback is her name. Miss Finselback's right. boarding school. So the whole thing is like, 
It's a combo of Enid Blyton and Danielle Steele, really, is yeah. what's going on there. Anyway, so it just ends sort of mid-sentence, like something to do with, you know, and Miss Fitzelback was a disciplinarian and, and, and not even an ellipsis. It's just wow. ends and just whoop, ends right out there. So, yeah, so there was nothing really worth, there was nothing as particularly badly hilarious as in those two bits that I've read, so I thought, oh, it's not really worth like reading. Truman Capote's unfinished work. <laughs> it really is, actually. Yeah. I mean, it's the, the only thing is I just think I should take it to, like, a Helen Garner Masterclass or something yeah. and say, Garner, oh, yeah. can what you, can I do with what this? Can I do with this? <laughs> How great was that story um, last week about her winning that international prize worth oh. 150 grand? Like, it's the greatest lesson to check your junk mail. Oh. <laughs> I'm still not convinced that she's going to show up at Yale and be met by a carload of Nigerians. But So the story is that... Um, she gets this email that says, Hello, you, congratulations, you've won the Norm Stromfelstein Prize for Nonfiction Writing. Oh, it's not that, but it's some other. Something like that. And I can't remember the name. But it's, it's like America's richest nonfiction writing prize. Worth 250 grand. Of course, some, by some completely, you know, nutso philanthropist, you know, from somewhere or other. And you don't nominate yourself for it hardly anyone's heard of it and the only way you have of finding out about it is when you get the email saying you won it <laughs> in your junk mail folder which Donna did and she's opened it just gone oh, I'm hip to the jibe of scams on <laughs> ageing Australians that's clearly a ruse and I mean the world is full now of you know you would think it was so a many money for nothing scams that like so if somebody walked up to me in the street and handed me a key to a Lamborghini that was right there and said, take it, I'd yeah. be like, oh, I'm not stupid. Yeah. No way. Absolutely. Yeah. I know. But it was legit. And so, yeah, so wonderful. She's, so. Yeah, I know. And also just, it's she great could take us to see, next time. <laughs> great when you see writers, like when um, Richard Flanagan won the Booker Prize, where mm. you just think that a cash injection like that for a writer is right. so fantastic, especially Australian writers, because even the really successful ones are oh, not making yeah. a very large amount of money. Well, if you think, and I'm thinking about Frank Morehouse quite a bit at the moment because I'm doing a um, talk, conversation with him at um, the Fairfax Spectrum Now event or whatever it's called, Cultural Crushes in Sydney. Um, well, he got, a, I think, a $200,000 grant, um, one of the Keating grants, oh, yeah. and which were much kind of sniffed at by people at the time, saying, oh, all this money being pissed away on artists and whatever. But he used that money to write the trilogy... Um, for which he is um, absolutely justly famous, um, that starts with Grand Days and mm. then Dark Palace um, and then um, Cold Light. And it is such a great contribution to Australian history and literature Like because he had the opportunity to research it so closely because he had that money to live on. Yeah. It, it is, like, I would buy that for $200,000 as a cultural, as a gift to the mm. country. Mm. Um, that was a bargain, actually, well, for two hundred thousand yeah, dollars. So, yeah, absolutely. It's um, yeah, yeah, it's it's um, and it's just heartening to see because I guess in my line of work, often I am uh, reporting on and dealing with people's extreme misfortune. Yeah. To, so to actually see just a stroke of wonderful good fortune, mm. completely out of the blue, mm. land for somebody, I thought was great. Hey, um, I won't talk about it today. I'll save it for another time. But I'm nearly finished Garner's book of essays that's about to come out. Oh, good. I can't um, wait for that. And there's one in there about Russell Crowe, which prompted me to Google this morning and reread "I Was Russell Crowe's <gasps> Stooge" by Jack Marks. 
That is one of the greatest it things I've ever read. Every now and again, every couple of years, I go back and read it and just think it is the effrontery oh, and the so, brilliance it, of that piece. Anyone listening to this, if you have not read that, just pause this right now and go and Google I Was Russell Crowe's Stooge by Jack Marks. Spelled, it's one spelled the, as in Karl Marx. Yeah. Jack Marks. It is one of... I mean, it's one of my favourite pieces of writing probably ever. I certainly think it's one of the best pieces of celebrity writing I've ever read, if not the best. Um, and it's hilarious and it's just, you can't look away from it. So the story is that this is a, um, a first-person recollection. Jack Marks is a like, writer and a bit of a sort of social maven. Yeah, a bit of a bon vivant. Gets a call absolutely out of the blue from Russell Crowe. Now, this is going back a decade or more, right? And he invites Jack around and it and he, of course Jack Marks says a phone call from Rusty Crow can, you know, <laughs> can I go around to his you know mansion sure I guess you know and Crow clearly wants him to come to work for him as this kind of undercover on-site journo yeah. filing stories that are positive mostly he wants it about his music because he oh thinks God, yeah. oh it was and the writing is so great like there's a bit he where wants he him says, to be his kind of like style consultant as well like yeah. he, he wants him to just sort of not make him cool but to kind of give him some cred or something but anyway he <laughs> some of the writing like there's a bit where Mark's talking about their first meeting and he says Russell's just hammering <laughs> so him with good. questions about where did you grow up and what do your parents do and this and that, sizing him up clearly. And then he asks him what do you, what, how much money he makes a year. Mm. And Jack Mark says, and I tell him, um, he, he describes it, I forget the exact form of words, sorry, but it's something like, and, and like a king who's asked a child his age, I tell him. <laughs> and it was just, it's full of great little, there's a bit where he goes home after Russell sort of makes him this offer, which is that he's, he's Russell's plant, basically. And he goes home. And this is a true story, by the way, everybody. I know it sounds like I'm making it up. It's a true story. Um, he describes he and his wife as, <laughs> they're in hysterics on the carpet so much about this situation, that he describes we're like rock, ticklish worms in a furnace. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, and then when, when, just... when surprise, surprise, the relationship starts to just evolve, it's, it's, <sighs> it's sweat is pouring out of you as a oh, reader because it's so agonising, embarrassing for everybody, oh. excruciating, weird, <laughs> laugh-out-loud funny, and he just has this way of capturing all of that. It's just, oh, it's well, the greatest it, thing. When it first came out as well, it was in... Um, the Sydney Morning Herald, I was in Washington, you were probably in London, and I, uh, it was serialised, it was in two parts, and I read the first part, and I, it was just, I could not believe I was going to have to wait for the second part, I think, you know, it was, the Herald used to come online about, you know, 1pm Washington time or something, I was just sitting at the desk, just refresh, 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 so desperate to see the end of it. Oh, that's, uh, I it love was, it unbelievably good. Oh, good. So, Thank yeah. you for reminding me of that. It's, it's been a year or two since I last read it, so oh, I'll go back and do that. Do it as soon as I leave. It was well worth it. Hey, do you ever get writer's block? Um, uh, I get kind of agony. I get agony when I can't quite get the right thing. Like, I find writing super easy and once I've got my idea and, you know, like every columnist is the same, I suppose, you know, you kind of and the kind of horrible flapping around like a calf on a jetty that you do when you're not quite there. And then, like, sometimes, you know, you just have to file it with bile in your mouth if it's still not quite right. Like, that happens all, all the time as well. But um, but I did have really bad writer's block once when I was writing this book um, called Losing It years ago. I was in London. It was so stupid. Like, I was writing this book on the Australian Labour Party um, 
sort of at night, so I'd be working all day and then I'd spend the night, you know, on the phone to, you know, Craig Emerson or whatever. It was very, not a way to live. Um, but I still, I couldn't quite sort of, I, I really struggled writing it. It was the hardest thing that I've ever written. And um, at one point, actually, oh my God, at one point I went um, to get hypnotised. <laughs> Because I read that somewhere that like people who have writer's block can um, find relief through hypnosis. <laughs> what happened? Well, I went to see this guy, you know, and it, I, in my memory, he was on Harley Street, but that doesn't sound, sound right, does it? It can't be like this in sort of London somewhere, and it was unless he was like a brain surgeon doing hypnosis on the side. No, oh, brain surgeon. Like, remind yeah. me to tell you about this book I'm reading. Um, so, and like, I, you know. I'm a bit of a sceptic about that. I, you know, mm. I'm not very good at kind of all that mindfulness stuff right. because I think maybe I have a short attention span and my brain is like this sort of terrible pack of terriers that you try and take for a walk in a park, yeah. you know, like and it's just like I just jump around. Like and I know that there must be things I can do and I've tried to do sort of mindfulness stuff just to sort of calm everything down so I can just colour things. Books. <laughs> yeah, no. Anyway, yeah. Um, what about how they're the best-selling things in bookshops? That and books about pies. Me. It's just like, oh, just so sad. my will to live. Anyway, yeah. carry on, yeah. Good for the pencil industry, though. I often wonder, like, there must be just, like, pencil futures must be oh. big business at the moment. Anyway. Big pencil must be A big thrilled. pencil must be thrilled. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Go, um, keep going. Anyway, so I walk into this, you know, and there's a comfy chair, of course, and this guy just is droning on about what he's going to put me under, and I'm thinking, sure you are, buddy. And to be honest, I thought, well, this will be funny. Also, you know, I might get a cold out of it if yeah. it's, you know, yeah, ridiculous. And I sort of sat back in this comfy chair, and he did the sort of counting down, and then he did this sort of long and really annoying routine about how you're in a garden and you're walking around in the garden <laughs> and, you're, you know, there's flowers everywhere, it's a lovely sunny day, and you're following a path that leads through an arch and then round a thing and then, a, you know, and then suddenly you're at a staircase and you're climbing the stairs one foot after the other, and he's got this sort of droney voice. And, my st like, I couldn't... I really wanted this to work because mm. um, I was interested. But all I could think was just like, well, what kind of st are they wooden stairs? Or like, <laughs> is, it a, is it a stone thing? Where's it going? How many of these? We, you know? And then it sort of led, led up to inexplicably a hillside. And then yeah. I was climbing the hill. I'm like, what, how am I steps and then a hillside? And then um, I was thinking, well, I can't wait um, to see what's at the top of this hill. And in the end, I stood, had to stand at the top of the hill, and then a, um, and then a, a cloud. No, then a cloud materializes next to me, mm. and then he instructs me. And this is what made me angry because I thought this is lazy hypnosis. Right. He then instructed me to unload all of my worries into the cloud and then just push it away, and that was it. <sighs> Do you know any useful mind mindfulness thing that I heard and that I used to think of a little bit, and I did find it quite relaxing, was that you would imagine writing your worries into the sand at the beach and oh. then the ocean would crash and oh. then wash them away. Well, that's You know, like sensible. when you write your name on the sand. So you told me that for free. This guy costs like 60 quid or something. <laughs> oh, no, I'm telling anyway. you. You'll pay, love. It was ridiculous. Hey, now, um, I know you wanted to talk about some more stuff, but I've got to go. <sighs> yeah. All right. Otherwise, there will be no 7.30 tonight. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that's for, yeah, and please get changed. You look a fright. Ha, 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 ha.
<laughs> viewers will know I got really busy if I'm doing this show tonight in gym gear. Yeah, exactly. But read that Jack Marks thing, seriously. And so, yeah, yeah, exactly. If you take one thing from this, go and read that. And, and then um, on Friday, look on Argue, and there'll be a little treat there. That's exactly right. And, you know, click on it. Sales looks all right. This click one. on it. And, um, and then we'll just be back probably in maybe a month or so. So really, there's no difference yeah, to exactly. our regular file routine, actually. Probably shouldn't have hung a lantern on our problems there, should we? True. All right. See you, peeps. See ya.